Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Home Matters Podcast. I'm Randy Brock, a realtor licensed in the state of Minnesota with Property Brokers of Minnesota, and we are the Whiteman Brock Real Estate Advisors team. We are here to give you a unique real estate experience, whether you are buying or selling a first-time home buyer or you've been through that experience many times before. We are here to come alongside and advise you and help you and coach you through that process. Our website is whitemanbrock.com, 507-208-2246. Our guest today, Bethany von Steinbergs. Bethany, thanks for being here this morning. Yeah, my pleasure. And Ron and Lynn, good to see you this morning. We're happy Hi, to be we're here happy and to ready be here. to go. We we've, are. we've had a little respite from the podcast world over the last couple of weeks. But we have. We're back and at it and uh, here to talk about some, some real estate updates for the spring of 2020. And before I go there, you know, we were talking yesterday about our guest lineup for our podcast, and we're all scheduled out through June, and we have just got some pretty fascinating people to talk to, so I'm very excited about that. It's awesome. I was yeah. talking with somebody the other day, and they said, oh, you have a real estate podcast. Like, well, what, do you, what in the world do you talk about? And I said, well, we you only have a couple minutes, a few minutes, right. to talk about real estate things. It's only so exciting. Yeah. And we found earlier on that we're talking with some of the most fascinating people in the community yep. and uh, learning from people like our mayor to Bethany here, who's got her yep. own company and startups about ice cream. We've talked about fitness. and We've talked about coffee. Oh, across the board. We're going to talk about criminal justice. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. Yeah, which so, is pretty awesome. And it has become a, a highlight in our week. It I has. mean, we really do enjoy having people come in and tell their story. Yep. Because everybody's got a story. And if you listen long enough, you will hear some amazing stories from people as long as you pause long enough to just... Yep. Listen. Absolutely. And I had a story this week that I was excited about. I, I met um, yesterday with a new agent who is getting started in the industry, <clears throat> just passed their test. And there's nothing like that, that energy that comes from new people who are excited about the opportunity yep. in real estate. So those kinds of things keep us excited about our job and where we're going and what we're doing. So yeah. that was fun for was me this fun. week. So I'm gonna take, I am gonna take the real estate minute here just in maybe two minutes and- um, Take five if you want. Okay, it's, we got all the it's time. been a while since we've talked about numbers and, and numbers is kind of like uh, sometimes our weather uh, yeah, right, man. right. Um, mm -hmm. That not a lot changes because we are in uh, a, a great place to own uh, and to sell and to 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 be involved in real estate, and our numbers, our active homes for sale, are still very low. You know, they're probably the lowest of number that I've seen this year. We only have 106, 56 single-family homes available for sale in the city of Rochester, and that's really low. But that's not to be Does missed. Does that count new construction as Yeah, well? that's everything that's for sale. Uh, interesting. But that's not to be misunderstood as our market is stagnant because what's most interesting when I was pulling numbers this morning is that we have uh, 221 uh, pending houses under contract waiting to close, and we've got another 40 that are in the inspection phase. That's so, a big number. You know, those are really big numbers yeah. considering. But I think probably the most interesting thing is because we talk a lot about affordable housing. And as long as we're in Rochester and we've got all these great economic things going on in our community, uh, and we really are a great place to live, we're always going to have the conversation about affordable housing. I mean, it's, it's just part of the nature of where we live. But when you look at our, um, I'm going to say our middle of the road price ranges, and that would I would define that as a 200 to 400 price range, um, we've got uh, 129 of those pending are in that price range. Mm. And the average days on market for that price range is less than 30 days, mm. which that's is really that's impressive. Great. Yeah. It that's is. great. Yeah. I, w I was working on two markets for, for houses that are going to be coming out of that price range, and, and I did one yesterday, and I was just like, what do you mean? It's like 14 days yeah. on the particular type of house I was looking at, mm -hmm. yeah. established neighborhood um, you know, those kind of things. It's 14 days for a house that's going to be priced at just under $400,000. Well, and as a point of reference, as a benchmark, when the market was healthy a year ago and two years ago, we were talking about 45 days on market. Yeah, yeah. In that price range. Yeah. Anything anything 45 is, is really good, but to, to look at a segment in that price range, it would be less than that. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So we could not be more excited about, you know, being here, uh, helping people buy and sell, and helping just answer questions. 
about what's happening. But those numbers are, are not to be confused with that a seller can just put their house out there at any price and it will sell Absolutely. in 14 to 30 days because the buyers have been working this market and they understand what the market will bear. And so if a house is overpriced, those days on market do extend. They do get longer. So people often think mistake a, a situation like this as all seller's market. But it, the, the buyers are driven to find a home, but they understand what needs to be where it needs to be priced. And to your point, if we really looked at that, um, that 129, there are some obviously that were way over that average, which is why there's an average. But if you look at that particular house, you're right. They started out too high or it's got some other issues that could have been fixed by price where the vast majority of those sold within 10 days yeah. because they were staged right, marketed mm -hmm. right, priced right. Right. And you bring up a really good point too, Lynn. I was wondering, um, you know, with the people I've been talking with as well when we're out and we're looking in the comments they make, do you feel like maybe our buyer pool is maybe the sharpest they've ever been? I, mean, I think so. I, I mean, I don't want to discredit buyers who've been shopping in the past, but our buyers know the market as well as we do, I think. They, they are... They are studying it. They are looking at um, square footage. They are they are really evaluating what they want, yeah. and they are willing to wait for the house that they want. And they're making different adjustments mm. and expectations, and you know. So it it has. I think the buyers really really bring value uh, to our market because we certainly don't want to be in a market where the pricing just gets inflated like we've had in the past and we can't get appraisals in and those kinds right. of things. I, I think the buyers are keeping our market very, very balanced, which is healthy for everyone involved. And it's a good time to be a buyer because <clears throat> as long as you've got a little bit of time to wade through this process, uh, interest rates are still incredibly low. I mean, and mm -hmm. there's still some really good options, uh, no matter record lows. Yeah, yeah, no matter what price range you're looking at, there's still really good options out there. So, right. So anyway, it's it's all positive, and I'm you know every time I pull these numbers, it's it's pretty exciting, but. Uh, uh, it's 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 all good. Yeah, and even though we talk about how boring numbers can be, they are are always a little different every yep. every other week. Yep, they are. <laughs> we talk about them. There's always something new, <laughs> yeah. different, exciting. And uh, you're right, buyers are sharp and they're they're paying attention to their own bottom lines. But interest rates yeah. are great. And um, anyway, we could ramble on and on about that forever. But we want to talk with our guest. We do. Bethany von Steinberg's. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you Thank for being you. here. Yeah, my pleasure. It's Bethany, great. Bethany, you are, you are, personally, you are Flourish Consulting. Yeah, Tell I am. Tell us a little bit about your company and how long have you been a company? Yeah, so I started uh, Flourish Consulting. Actually, it's kind of interesting. I have kind of like two times that I feel like I started the company. One uh, is in uh, October of 2017, which is when I left my uh, company that I was previously working for, which is in the Twin Cities. Uh, also a premier strengths uh, consulting company that's been around for more than 20 years uh, called Leadership Vision Consulting. So when I first moved to Minnesota, I started working there. I was commuting to the cities two days a week, and then I was working from my home or kind of networking in Rochester. I was getting on a plane and consulting all over the United States uh, with them. And I just, every time I would keep coming back to this region, I would keep meeting people that would say, man, we need the work that you're doing. And so um, I kind of actually made a transition from Leadership Vision um, in October of 2017, but I hadn't yet started Flourish. I just thought to myself, like, how can I, you know, like make this a go? <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it was really a like a scary time, but also like a really exciting time for me. And so actually a friend of mine uh, about the same time that I was transitioning reached out to me and he's a recruiter and he said, hey, I have this, you know, client that is looking for something that I think you can provide. And honestly, I, I had never done that before. I had never gone to a person and said, like, here's what I can do for you, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And maybe if I had, I had been under the safety net of another company. So you kind of felt like you could fall back on them and their credibility. And I'm like, now I'm the credible one, right? And so I negotiated that whole deal. I kind of like felt like sometimes I was looking at myself from the outside, looking in and being like, 
wow, you just did that. You know, yeah. I was kind of surprised by my own courage. And so I landed actually a, about a seven or eight week um, kind of gig um, independently contracting for a company here in this region. And that really gave me the courage. So that took me really for the rest of 2017. And so in January of 2018, I formally started Flourish Consulting LLC. So I was really kind of operating, I guess, in who I was and that identity was forming in that in that fall kind of semester. But um, formally, January of 2018, I started Flourish Consulting. So you were you were not seeking to start your own company. It just kind of happened that way or were you? I, I really wanted to give it a go. Okay. Um, and I kind of viewed that time as like, if this works out and this thing is good, yeah. I'll do it. I, I had a level of confidence that I was marketable. And I knew that I was in southeastern Minnesota right now and that there was going to be no problem for me or my husband to get a job. Yeah. And so I wasn't super concerned about, you know, the future. Um, I preferred and would have hoped to have started my own company, but I was open. So yeah. I think that first really contract gave me the courage to do nice. that. So when you started, you were in the company that you where you initially came here for. <clears throat> yep. And then you slow so you slowly spread out on your own. You took that gig and I mean it was kind of quick, I guess, in the sense of I mean, I was done. I had about two months of transitionary responsibilities between leaving leadership vision and really starting this new contract. That so, is a very short so they was of time. and there was a yeah. couple of weeks where I was doing like two jobs. Um, and I wanted to do right by Leadership Vision and close out all of my contracts there well. Um, I still have a great relationship with them. Um, I really view them as my ally. We do very similar work. Um, we have similar mindsets, and so I wanted to do good work there. And so it was kind of quick, and then all of a sudden, the contract that I landed here in this local company in Rochester, um, I had to do a bunch of traveling for that them um, to... Actually, it was an interesting project. I actually was looking at the top salespeople, it was a sales-driven company, and I was tasked to use strengths, which we can talk more about, but I was tasked to use strengths and talent to really be a lens for why were their top people being successful. And so I got in an airplane and I went to Amarillo, Texas, and I went to Ohio and Amish country, and I had never done anything like that before. And I really shadowed these salespeople for 24, 48 hours, um, really learning like what is it that makes them tick and why are they successful and why are they doing good work and bringing that back to the management team to tell them and the leadership team to tell them, hey, these are some of the things that your culture is teaching me. These are some of the people that I'm learning and why they're successful. And everyone's very different um, and why they're successful. But being able to pinpoint, are there any commonalities? Are there common threads of people that you're hiring? so it was fascinating. I'd never done anything like it. I was just kind of making it up as I went. And I think that I provided a ton of value to them. And it really was really, really interesting. I appreciated their openness to, to the idea and to the plan with which I executed it. So it was great. Yeah. Something I love about what you said is that you went to different, um, like Amarillo versus Amish country versus, and those are very different areas. And it takes different, I've always said that salespeople, it just takes a lot of different personalities to be successful in different places because not everybody is the same. And the people who want to work with me don't necessarily want to work with someone else. But likewise, the people who want to work with someone else don't want to work with me. It would be really interesting to see what makes what personality is successful in what kind of an environment like that. Yeah, I I mean, you bring up something really great, and this is what I encounter a lot in my work: is there's a difference between personality and hardwiring, and and this is the world that I live in. So, I am an expert in StrengthsFinder. So, StrengthsFinder is a psychometric assessment to measure talent, and this is different than personality. So, if you've taken like a Myers Briggs, that would be a personality test. Personality can change over time. Uh, You have a child, you move to a new state, you have cancer changes your personality, even think about yourself 20, 30 years ago, right? Like the person that you are now is sometimes feels a little bit different in your personality. But what they found through research of the psychometric tool, which is StrengthsFinder, is really the hardwiring of our brains, how our brains fire, how they work differently than everyone else. And so um, 
the Gallup organization in partnership with Donald Clifton found this psychometric tool where they could measure neurological pathways of people and how they are wired. And so what you bring up is a great point. What kind of personality, what kind of knowledge, what kind of skills do people have to have? You know, the man that I observed in um, Amish country, you know, he was, quote, English, you know, and so why was he accepted by them? It's because he had the language of the Amish. He had built those skills. He had lived in that region most of his life. And so he built this kind of credibility in his personality and his skills to know how to approach them. But what I observed was the talent, the hardwiring of his brain. Like, how does he think? How does he relate to people? How does he influence and execute in a way that is uniquely him? Um, and even if I looked at someone else who was well-versed in um, interacting with the Amish and having trust and credibility, they might not sell the same way as he did. And so um, I think it's both. I think it's this idea of like we have personalities and knowledge and skills, but we also have these innate talents that make us special. And so that's really what I'm trying to draw out of people because people don't think they're special. They like think, well, doesn't everyone do it like that? Right. I can't imagine right. not doing it that way. Well, that's the thing I want to teach them about because that's actually something that could really catapult them into being in the right place, the right fit. I think that we could sit here and talk for four hours because I'm pretty excited about this whole conversation because that's the question that Lynn and I had this morning. I mean, we've been selling real estate for 23 years. We've been in sales a very long time. but And so we've been through the the different personalities tests. And what you're saying is absolutely true. If you're under stress, if you're selling in a good economy versus a bad economy, if you're moving, all those things can change yep. how you respond to things in a personality test. And we've been through all of those. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, she laughed. And then we did do the strengths finder, and it was um, an interesting complement to the information that we've been thinking about, you know, all these years. So. Yeah, I mean, and what's really cool about it is sometimes, you know, when people take StrengthsFinder because it's essentially beating your brain, it's a timed assessment, you know, that's really trying to beat your brain like, you know, Ron, when you're, you know, taking it, before you can think, what would Lynn say? Right. What would Randy say? It's like, it's beating you out. It's, yeah. it's going to the next question, right? And this idea is it wants to get your gut response. And if you can't respond quickly to that question, probably means that's not how you're wired. Mm -hmm. um, I actually met a guy one time. He wanted to get a particular theme on his strengths finder, And so he took the assessment seven times and he couldn't get it. And I just said, wow, you're out $140 or whatever it was. I'm like, to find out that your brain doesn't go that way. Yeah. That's pretty um, funny. Because he didn't even know how people answered the, those particular questions. That's yeah. not how he thinks. And so it really is fun um, to help people, you know, really to point out those things that are special about them and have them be like, well, right. Yeah. Or I've always been told that's wrong. That's one right. of my favorites. I've always been told, like, I love bumping up against that, actually. You know, when someone's just like, ah, oh, man, you know, my harmony, it's just like, everyone always thinks that I'm trying to avoid conflict or whatever. And I'm like, because you are. Because <laughs> yeah. you are. And by you avoiding conflict at some level, you're not perpetuating it. And that's what's right about you. And they're like, oh, my gosh, they have to spend some time thinking into that. So that's yeah. really kind of the foundational principle with which I do consulting. So I use StrengthsFinder really as the entry conversation and the foundation with which I help clients navigate other issues. So how do they build trust? How do they build collaboration? How do they navigate conflict? How do they deal with change? How do they deal with personality differences? How do they deal with different approaches to their work? You know, people do things differently. Um, and so how do you have this language really that's rooted in positive psychology to say, hey, I'm going to assume positive intent through this lens, through this idea. Um, and that's really where StrengthsFinder gives people the tools. And I think that you, I'm going to circle back just a little bit because when you said, um, people say, well, how do you do what you do? When you're successful in an industry, people ask you that a lot. Yes, they do. How do you do what you do? And often, you know, I'll go, doesn't everybody work like that? Right. I mean, you really can't sit down and just spill out, this is how I do what I do, because you just do it, because that's what you do. Yeah. And that is part of what makes you successful. But it is interesting when you're when you're looking for an for a mentor or maybe an apprentice 
do you do you think it benefits them more to find someone who is similar to them or do you think it finds it serves you to find someone who is a bit different mm-hmm. so you learn new skills yeah. what do you think it's a really great question actually I just I you know um, I talked with my lean-in circle on uh, Tuesday night we've been talking about biases uh, that we experience in the world especially as women and one of those is affinity bias we tend to choose people to surround ourselves, to mentor, to guide, to coach that are like ourselves. And this is why many women have experienced biases in the workplace because most men are in leadership in many industries and so they choose people that look like them or remind themselves of themselves. It's just natural, it's natural human nature is affinity bias. So I think the tendency has been to go towards people that like, oh my gosh, you just remind me of myself when I was a new real estate agent, you know, I wanna like mentor you. And that's really good, we need that. but I think because of that, we end up having different biases in like, this is a great real estate agent. This is a great salesperson. This is a great leader. And we miss out on other opportunities to diversify our population and who is in positions of power and influence and leadership. Um, I'm not sure if that exactly answers your question, but it I does. do think um, it's, it's good to pay attention to how can I bring and fill gaps of someone who's maybe not like me that doesn't mm-hmm. think like me. Maybe they're a very influential person and I'm a real doer. And you know what? That influencer needs to know how to do, otherwise they lose influence. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in the reverse, um, I had the opportunity three, four years ago to mentor someone new to this industry. And I knew right up front that this person was a totally opposite of how I work, think, and mm-hmm. operate. And so I had the option to go, yes, I'm going to stick with this and do it, or, you know, no, and cut it short, which was typically my personality. But I chose to stick with it. And then what I learned, I learned so much, uh, and I appreciated so much about that experience because I did kind of let down who I was and really tried to relate and understand to this, this person's where they were coming from. And I still think about that time period even today during these conversations mm-hmm. because I mean, I was mentoring this individual, but I was polar opposite. And I don't know how much that person got, but I gained a tremendous amount about acceptance and understanding and listening more. Yes. Well, and I I, um, read a really fantastic book in grad school. And actually, the professor of that class was the person who had written the book. Mm -hmm. So it was really fun. And he wrote a book called Reverse Mentoring. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the most powerful mentoring relationships are when you go in saying like, hey, how can I help you? How can I come alongside and support you? I love what you said. Like, we're here to come alongside you in your real estate journey. It's like, ah, that's mentoring, Mm -hmm. you know? And at the same time, what you're saying is such a beautiful thing is like, I was open myself. to learning. I was open to being mentored, right? Uh, This professor that I had, interestingly, you know, he was in his 50s and he was working with college students and he would literally take a college student to coffee and built this relationship with a male student um, and asked him, tell me all the things that people are talking about. I'll treat you coffee every single Mm. week. If you just like, tell me, uh, what are people talking about? What's the newest technology? What's the cool things? Mm -hmm. And he was mentoring this this young student, but man, he was learning so much. Yep. Um, and so I think those are some of the most powerful relationships is when we can kind of level set a little bit and say we all bring something to the table that's unique and lovely. And so how can we share that um, with one another respectfully? Yep. Um, that's really cool. I like it. I think it's a challenge to a lot of leaders too, like what you said, is just to be able to submit just a little bit. Yeah. To be able to submit to someone else who to learn from them to figure out how they tick the way they do and yeah I, that was just a side note on my part I it's didn't have anything one. else to add mm-hmm. it's yeah. a good one yeah. so before strengths you where were you before that came up what were you thinking of doing what were you passionate about and how did you fall into that because what we've been talking about here is just fascinating yeah how so, did it start I mean honestly I don't ever know if someone like you know when they're 16 years old if they ever like when I get older I'm going to be a consultant (laughs) like I don't know if I've ever met someone that said that Um, maybe they said I want to own my own business but they never like specifically maybe said consulting right and so I feel most people that are consultants have had perhaps a colorful pathway of how they've gotten there and I think that mine is quite colorful Um, it you know, I feel sometimes I kind of like stumble into something and I'm an activator, if you know, Finder, And so I usually just 
bounce. I bounce pretty quick and jump into things. Um, I'm not super afraid of trying new things um, because if I fail, I'll just start again. And so, uh, you know, when I was, my my undergrad was um, in math education, actually. So my background is in elementary education. I am licensed K-8. Um, I was an actual sixth grade math teacher um, in North St. Paul, Minnesota. Do you still keep your license? I did not keep my license. I thought about it many Sorry. times. Chased think, a squirrel there. No, it's okay. Um, I thought about it. When my license first expired, I was like, oh, man, maybe I should have done that. But then now I see that the pathway. It's okay. But um, I uh, ended up actually after a short time of teaching, I got a little bit nervous that I was going to be a teacher for the rest of my life because I really loved it. And that would make most people be like, fantastic. I'm so glad yeah. I landed in the right career. And I was like, oh, my gosh, panic. I'll be here for 35 years. Um, <laughs> and so I... Uh, my mom had been a teacher actually for 35 years in the same district and she was amazing at this work but i couldn't i was not wired that way to stay put and so i actually left a perfectly great teaching job in north st paul teaching sixth grade math and i moved to poland and i yes i lived in poland uh my mom is on the board for a missions organization and they do uh, work in mostly central and eastern europe and um, for my graduation gift from college, they had sent me on a trip um, through this organization to teach English. And I just really fell in love with it. And so even when I came back and started teaching sixth grade, I just was like, oh, man, it'd be so fun. You know, and my parents are pretty safe folks. So they would say, you know, well, maybe you just want to go for the summer. You know, when you're like on a break from teaching, you could go to Poland for the summer. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. too easy. That's Parents too safe. Like that. right? Anybody could do that. Yeah, right. right. Anyone, uh, any teacher could do that. And I just decided to give up my job. Um, and it was quite risky. And I moved to Poland. Um, and I thought to myself, what's the worst that could happen? I go away for a year. I come back. They'll still be teaching jobs. You know, I'm a woman in math. It's going to be okay. Um, and so I moved to Poland. I actually lived with a Polish family. That's a whole other story. But um, I, because I lived with a Polish family, I was quickly embedded into the culture of the place where many Americans that would move over, you know, it takes several months uh, maybe for them to get acclimated into the culture and find their way around. And because I had these Native people that I was living with, I was quickly acclimated into culture. And so I was teaching English classes at the hospital to the director of the hospital uh, in Hoinitsa, the town that I lived in. I was leading exercise classes because um, all you have to do in exercise is count to eight. Um, so that was really great for beginners. <laughs> cool. um, and say kick and punch and, you know, um, it's awesome. And so and then I taught um, in the schools where the my family that I lived with had kids and I helped to teach some English classes there and conversational classes. So after that uh, year, I really contemplated, actually, should I stay in Poland or should I come back? I really loved it. I thought I could be there for the rest of my life, actually. I've been back since many times. Um, And I ended up getting a call. Actually, it was an email, um, but then turned into a call from some people uh, at the school that I had graduated from up in the Twin Cities, Bethel University. And they actually called and just said, hey, there's a job that opened last minute and it has your name written all over it. What are you up to these days? And I just said, well, I live in Poland, um, <laughs> you know, but, but, I, but I'm planning to come back. Um, I am interviewing for math teaching jobs and I'm thinking about coming back. And so they said, I think you should interview. So I interviewed over the phone in Poland. Um, for the director of student activities and new student orientation position at Bethel University. And so I got this job and I literally got off a plane from Poland and two days later I started working. Um, that I don't advise that. I don't advise having a cross-cultural experience for a year and then like two, two days, days later <laughs> starting working at a university. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, transition time. Not a lot of cultural recover. transition. Yeah. Yep. Um, that was interesting. Um, but I j- literally jumped into the ocean of working with college students and I felt like I kind of had a floaty, you know, and um, it was quite interesting. But I... Here I am, you know, now working with student leaders, and um, really, that's really where my 
now I re-engage strengths. And here I am now back in the college where I had graduated from several years later, working with student leaders and helping them to develop their peers mm -hmm. and planning all the on and off campus events for students and really trying to build strengths-based teams. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, I was at Bethel University as an undergrad when they were piloting research for the Strengths Finder. Oh, wow. So I will celebrate my 40th birthday this summer, and I have almost 20 years of knowledge of Strengths Finder, which is pretty rare for someone my age. Sure. And I just say it's because I was in the right place at the right time. And so now I'm coming back and I'm like, oh man, Bethel's still using strengths as a language of developing people. And so it just made sense to me. So I worked in higher ed there for two years. Then I got recruited uh, by a former mentor, or now she's like my friend, but uh, was mentor when I was at Bethel. She had become the dean of students at a school in California, and she recruited me to come out there. And so I started working in residence life at a school in California. So I moved to Orange County. That was quite a different experience after living in Minnesota. Um, and I worked there for two years in a very like amazing strengths-based team. Um, not only the team that I got to lead of students, but also the team of the staff that I that I worked on. Um, I was dating my husband long distance um, over the phone, uh, really, was our entire relationship. He was living in Seattle at the time, and uh, I had made myself a promise that I was going to get my master's before I was 30, and it was getting closer. And so I decided to uh, transition away from my role in California and move to Seattle. I was engaged to Jed at that time, and I started my master's in leadership at a school there. And I did my master's full time, so because I had to get it done before I was thirty, you guys. Um, and so I, I, I ended up getting my master's um, and uh, walking seven and a half months pregnant with my first son, um, and I nannied to pay the bills. Um, but I finished my master's before I was 30. So that, that, that led me to be 30. And for the last decade, it took me to uh, Washington, D.C. I moved to Washington, D.C. with my husband, and we helped to care for our cousin's son um, uh, for a year. It was kind of a transitionary year for our family. My husband was working in social work, and he was pretty maxed out doing that work. And so it was kind of a good, I was done with grad school, and he was done with his kind of social work stint, and we lived in D.C. for a year. That was a fantastic experience. Then we got recruited again. Uh, this time, both of us got recruited to come on staff at a, a faith-based organization in the Central Valley of California. So if you're following me on the map, oh my Orange County, Seattle, <laughs> Washington, D.C., right. Fresno. Hold on. So I just want to point out how amazing it is. In about four or five minutes, you've unpacked probably about 15 years of your life. So you're talking St. Paul, Orange County, Seattle, Washington, D.C., child, Poland. No, Seattle. Poland, Child, Fresno. Poland. Master's degree, Poland. Back to California. So reverse with kind of some, some quick questions here for you. How in the world did Gallup end up doing research at Luther? No, at Bethel. Bethel, At yeah. Bethel in St. Paul. Oh, that's a great question. So interestingly, um, a man named Brian Schubring um, had received a grant, a large grant, uh, back in the late, mid to late 90s. Um, to do research with college students, really essentially to help to identify their talents um, in that really 18 to 24 demographic population. And the Gallup organization uh, was just in the initial stages of launching StrengthsFinder. And they were, um, you know, obviously most of their research had been done with people that were working, you mm -hmm. know, and so they needed to kind of verify all of that information. And so they heard of Brian's grant and they said, hey, we'll give you this new tool we have, psychometric tool, because StrengthsFinder was the first online psychometric. And, um, and then you give us your research. And so this started a partnership between Brian and the Gallup organization. Um, and I was one of those people at that time that was getting first introduced to StrengthsFinder um, as a college student. So really serendipitous and amazing. Um, interestingly, this man, Brian Schubring, is now the president of Leadership Vision, where I currently or I used to work before I started my own company. So mm -hmm. he married this mentor of mine who was the dean of students <laughs> in California. So, I mean, it's really like a wacky thing. Like this person who was doing research at Bethel when I was a college student marries my mentor, you know, in 2010 or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just not many years later, five years later than that, I'm working for him. Um, so it, it really is um, quite amazing. Yeah, so that's that's, really cool. that's kind of how. Yeah. All right. Another spinoff question for you. Uh, you lived in Poland for a while, but von Steinberg's oh, yeah. the last name. 
So St. Paul to California, you meet Jed. That's true. I'm guessing. So where does that name come from? And tell us a little bit about Jed as well. Yeah. So um, my husband's last name, uh, Von Steinberg's, I, I, I'm realizing as you're asking me all these questions, I have a lot of colorful stories about It's never a quick answer <laughs> to all these questions. I'm like, I'm complicated. Um, uh, my, my husband's uh, last name is Von Steinberg's, but it's actually not his biological name. It was his stepdad's name. Oh, that's right. And so um, my husband has actually had three last names in his life. He has his biological last name, which is Troon. He has his mom's maiden name that he took over, which is Headland. And then he has a, his adopted stepdad name, which is von Steinberg's, um, which is actually Prussian. Uh, his grandmother on that side actually lived in Latvia. And um, so it actually means, Vaughn means from the, right. and then Steinberg's is Stone Mountains. So from the Stone Mountains. And so um, when we were actually um, dating, we were like, we realized that when you get married, you get a free name change. Did you all know? Get yeah. a free name change. <laughs> and so we were no kind of, right? I mean, if you want to change your name, get married. Um, but uh, you get a free name change. And so we kind of struggled, like, what should we name? Because he's had three last names. Right. I was very attached to my last name, which was Holty. It was my maiden name. And um, then, you know, we're kind of like, and we could make a new name, you know, whatever. And so just really like, it was actually a cool conversation, like really realizing like, what do we want to be about? What do we want to be known by? That's actually a great idea. And it was really yeah. actually a profound time for us to really like wrestle through, like, why do you love Holty? Why did you love Headland? Why did you love Troon? Why did, like, what do we want to do? And so, you know, Jed played soccer a lot in his life. And so he was actually quite fantastic at soccer and kind of was like pre-Olympic track for soccer. And so, you know, when you have Von Steinberg's on your jersey for the majority, he had had that last name since he was six years old. Um, and so uh, we just said, you know what? It doesn't matter if we know all the family history of, of this name. You know, we are now this right. family history. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I love that my kids have like almost half the alphabet in their names. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, it is constantly misspelled. The The V is actually lowercase. So it's Vaughn, yeah. lowercase Vaughn, capital S Steinbergs. And it ends with an S, which most people forget. So sure. Von Steinbergs. And it's E-R-S, not U-R-S. So I almost always have to send my insurance cards back in. Wrong. <laughs> it's fine. It's part of marrying Jed. You know, you go to a lot of conferences where you've got the name tag. Oh, it's always, it's always wrong. It's wrong. just fine. Yeah. yeah. So um, we call ourselves uh, Team VS. That's what we call our family nice. um, and our kids. We say we're Team VS. And so, um, yeah, I met my husband actually, interestingly, on a trip to Poland. I mean, honestly, he's actually from Minnesota. Um, he grew up on like Lake Minnetonka, Lake Lucy, west suburbs mm -hmm. of the cities. And um, he was kind of a wanderer, my husband. Um, he was like in Atlanta and Germany. I, I kind of am a wanderer as I'm talking to you. I'm like, wow, I kind of am in too. I've always said Jed is, <laughs> but I guess I am. Um, yeah. And so he lived in Atlanta and Germany and lived in Lake Tahoe in his Jeep. Yep in his wow. Jeep with his dog. He was a snowboard instructor and ski instructor, and he's super brilliant and was doing, like, research jobs and delivering pizzas and being a social worker. Like, he's way more brilliant than me and just, like, was wandering all around. And um, he, Jed has an incredible story. You could have him on the podcast. I was just thinking um, that we should. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jed, yeah Jed, Jed is a stay-at-home dad. He's, you know, yeah. now a stay-at-home dad, and so you could interview him, not many, in Rochester. Um, and so... Uh, and interestingly, we met at a season of his life where he was really saying, like, you know what, I need to take roots. My faith, my family, my, like, friendships yeah. need to be more solid. And so um, he actually joined this trip to Poland where it was going to be an English language camp. And I had just happened to be also going on this trip. So um, I don't know if we would have ever met each other otherwise because we were kind of, like, bouncing balls oh. in different directions. Yeah. And so... Um, that's how, amidst mm -hmm. that, uh, that's how we met each other. Awesome. And I don't mean to be flippant about your last name at all in that story, but also if you meet Jed, you would think, yeah, man from Stone Mountain kind of checks he, out. He, it kind of works. Yeah. It kind of works. <laughs> he's, he's got a great beard. You, you and, you know, have to yeah, meet Jed yeah, he's great. Before we leave um, StrengthsFinder, I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm really interested in this because Lynn and I and, and now Randy, we, we talk about this all the time because we're in sales, but, you know, it doesn't just benefit 
sales. And there's that perception out there that, you know, if, you, if you're a salesperson, you need to understand all these things. Because in every relationship, working environment, your family, I mean, understanding how you come across and how you can benefit or learn from people is really important. So it's not sales-oriented. Yeah, so much. I mean, really, um, my mantra for Flourish Consulting is no own, show, grow. And what I mean by that is, no, we need to better understand ourselves, not just on paper, not just because we took a test, because we read a StrengthsFinder book. We need to actually unpack that and know what that means. How does that show up in my daily life? How does it influence the way that I speak to people and how I talk and what I think about, um, how people perceive me? And then we have the opportunity to own that. Sometimes it's hard to own certain things about ourselves. Absolutely. You know, we have to really overcome that and become confident that that's actually what's right about us rather than what's wrong with us. That it's not a difference that's a deficit, it's a difference that's an asset. And so I really help my clients to kind of do that, to go through that process of own. And that is quite challenging, actually. Um, Go ahead. And and there's a large percentage of the population, and we all know them, and they're good people, but they're super resistant to any kind of personal change. Yeah. I mean, it's a very scary thing. Change is scary to, to a lot of people. Yeah, I bump up against fear every day yeah. in my work. Yeah. Um, I bump up against insecurity every day in my work. I bump yeah. up against pride every day in my work. Uh, but it's good work to do. Yeah. It's good work to do because at the end of that, you find the jewels of humans sure. and who sure. they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the show piece for me then is once we own it, are we willing to show that to someone else? Because even if we own it, like we might not be able to advocate for ourselves or, you know what, put your hand down because that's not your thing, but not do it like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not good at that. But instead it's like, nope, they're better than me. Like I need you. Um, And how can we begin to show who we are to the world, to people in our personal and professional life? And then from that we grow. And in the growth, we learn new things and we start all over again. No own show grow. So like I've been no own show growing for 20 years. And, you know, I'm continually in this work because every day, the chance of someone having your same top five themes on StrengthsFinder is one in 33 million. Oh, wow. There's no one like you. Hmm. And, you know, when, when we look at how they're ranked one to 34, there literally is no one like you. Because just the top five is one in 33 million. Wow. So essentially Donald Clifton figured out a scientific way to measure the uniqueness of humanity. I think that is rad. And so, I mean, every day when I interact with my clients, I'm like, well, get to meet you today. That's fun. (laughs) Never met that person before. (laughs) So I'm constantly learning and refining what I know about strengths through my work. And it is absolutely fantastic. And then I have the opportunity to grow because I got to figure out how this person's perceiving me. Sure. Because it's not just a Bethany show and it's not just a Randy show. It's a like, hey, how can I better understand Randy and the point of view that he Absolutely. has? In addition to, I want you to understand me and my perspective. And yeah. so this is really the fun and the finesse of my work. Um, it's really good. So a little bit of the dark side of that. When you run across the, the fear and the pride and the insecurity, and I feel like I know you well enough that you have no fear standing up to that and confronting it. In a healthy way, but how, how do you handle that? Because I would imagine that there are different levels of that, too, that resistance could be pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, I try to be tender with people. Like, when you come face-to-face with some of your own insecurities and fears, man, it is really scary. It is really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to be really tender and just take it one bite step at a time. Like, maybe today all you got to do is just believe that, you know what, deliberative talents are what's right about you. And you're just going to sit there for a few minutes. And that's just one slice of right. maybe who you are. But maybe today that's all just we're going to tackle. We're just going to have one really good takeaway today. Um, there's other clients that you see them. They're like ready to be rid of it. They're like, I'm so tired of this, living this way. It's awful. Yeah. You know, Then you can push them a little bit harder. Um, you can ask some of those more pointed questions. You can poke the bear a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so I, I think it's... I approach them in a way that they need to be approached, hopefully, right? Which is one of the great things about knowing strengths and then being able to listen for them and how people respond is I'm listening. Like, oh, man, this person has context. And they don't have any background for what I'm telling them. They probably feel out of sorts, you know? And so I'm going to, like, fill them in a little bit before I push them. So I try to be mindful of their strengths and how I approach the fear, the insecurity, the challenges, the opportunities. Context number two. 
I love I love her yeah. energy. I need and I need things explained <laughs> to me a lot. I'll look at my wife in the morning and just stare at her. And she's like, Oh, that's right, I forgot your context. You need me to explain this to you as far as why I'm doing this. And also I understand the you know, the degenerative side yes. of it a little bit. Too. Yeah. I I have felt like that. Yep. Fix, fix my empathy. I don't want it today. Yeah, that's right. That's my number one. Yeah, and I do. That, that's it. a really Thank great you. point, Randy. Like, there's a lot of people that are like, I wish I didn't have these talents, especially when you're dealing with not a personality, you're dealing with psychometric neurological pathways. That's how my brain is wired. And people are like, man, I really hate having empathy. I hate having responsibility. It's terrible. I wish I could trade it in. You want to trade? You know, like, yeah. and, and there's parts of that, like, you're never not going to be that, according to research. I mean, right. that's really what it says. So how do we get you to own it? How do we wrestle through those messages? A lot of times it's like, and that's where my job does turn a little psychology. It's like, maybe someone told you that that was bad. And so we have to like unpack that a little bit. Maybe we have to help you find new examples of how you are right. See, that's something I've been thinking as I listen to you is how, how much influence we as parents have in people's lives. So what have they been told mm-hmm. about who they are? Because especially if a child is raised in a home where they're very different from their parents, yes. they've, been, they've been shoved into that box all of their lives. And it, it would take a while for people to start to open up and accept the fact that just because I'm different from them mean, doesn't mean I'm not good at who I am. Right. You know, and I get asked a lot about, you know, when you, when I bump up against, let's be clear too, when I bump up against certain challenges in people's personalities, those are referrals to counselors. Like I'm right. dealing at the surface level yes. of right. basic <laughs> behavior choices and decisions and team dynamics, right? But um, those, are, those are always referrals. Um, and I think part of that is when you get down to what you're talking about, really people ask me, is it nature or nurture? And it's really a nurturing of the nature. So, you know, you have a child and they come out with this like brain that's kind of hardwired a certain way. But as they're nurtured by their parents, by culture, by their teachers, by their schoolmates, their neurological pathways start to come up. Like the ones that were already hardwired, the ones that get fed, if you will, they grow. And so you will have kids that have, you know, a strength of their mom or maybe their you know, grandma or whatever, but then they are have this like three or four themes that are not them. And it's like, how do you view that as not wrong? I didn't go wrong in how I, you know, right. parented you because you're not like me, yeah. that you really are a unique person. And so finding the best of people. Wow. We could go on forever. Yeah, we could. This is so <laughs> interesting. And it, I, I love this stuff. And, and Bethany was right. When she emailed us back, she said, this could probably be three or four episodes. We should. We should. Yeah. We should. We will. I was will. like, which topic do you want to deal with? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's great. I love it. So to wrap it up then, who tell us about your, your mentor. You mentioned your mentor earlier. Tell yeah. us a little bit more. You know, it's really fun. So I did my master's thesis on mentoring. And um, it was really fun to just, um, I did a case study of the faith community that I was a part of at that time in Seattle. And what are their perceptions of mentoring? And why don't people mentor? And like starting to unpack that. And I think a lot of that is sometimes we think mentor is such a big word. Mm -hmm. And so we feel ill-equipped, like I'm supposed to know more or be more, you know, whatever. And so we don't mentor because we're afraid to come alongside. And really, but that's what it is. This is coming, come alongside was literally the, the word that came up most when I researched uh, people of what their perception is of a mentor. And yet they were nervous about that. And so um, I've had several mentors in my life. Um, I feel extremely fortunate. Um, people that come to mind are my high school economics teacher, Mr. O'Driscoll. Um, he also led our student senate and just was an amazing, amazing person. Um, he really taught me about leadership. He was a mover and a shaker, and I think I just really like got that. I moved at his pace, and so it made a ton of sense to me. I think about Mr. Kleba, my eighth, you know, eighth grade teacher, and just how invested he was in the lives of students beyond the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just so meaningful to me. Uh, probably my biggest mentor was a woman named Linda Schubring. Um, at the time, was Linda Hartzell, and. She um, drastically influenced my life in helping me to understand that I was a part of a team, helping me to break down some of those um, things that I carried from my past that I probably shouldn't carry anymore, um, really helping me to find my own voice 
and who I was as a member of the team and really empowering my talents and my strengths. Um, she was instrumental in my life and then later became, you know, kind of my indirect boss um, when I was uh, on staff and she was the dean. And that was where our relationship started to take a new dynamic. It moved from kind of like a mentoring role to just being more friends and colleagues. Mm. And so we're still the dearest mm. of dear friends. Um, I do feel that I'm sometimes mentored by my husband. Honestly, he's really brilliant and um, has a lot of amazing things to offer me because he knows so much about me um, and has had drastically different life experiences that I've had. So I try to just be open to be mentored by pretty much whoever I'm with, like, can I? What can I learn from you today? So one person. Who's the first person that comes to your mind? Who's your role model? Who's your mentor? Hmm. If you had to distill it down to a, a name, is there one? Hmm. That's a big question. I know. That's really hard. And, and for you me. can you can take a pass. It's okay. Um, I don't know. My faith is super important to me. <laughs> um, so I think about people of faith that are you know really influential. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, right now, like my husband's my biggest role model. That's cool. Um, I think he's fantastically selfless and um, super giving um, to people and so kind. That's a cool answer. So, yeah, yeah, it's probably it. And he cooks a heck of a pizza on the Traeger. He totally does. Oh, my. And my husband, you. honestly, you should have on the podcast. He is a stay-at-home dad. He is, a, like, this startup hobby farmer. We have 30 chickens, and we have three sons, and we have 16 acres in Zimbroda. And he roasts his own coffee and smokes some, you know, Thanksgiving turkey. And Oh, and you had a yak. We did. We babysat some yak <laughs> this fall. Uh, we had three yak on our property, and we actually are, are are right now in the conversations about budget. You know, like have you ever had a conversation about like can we afford yak? Never no. had this conversation no. before. No. Um, so that's that's the the conversation Jed and I are navigating right now. Can we afford yak? Oh, um, so that's that's to be on the next episode. But that's um, you know coming to a farm near you is some yak probably. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to meet your yak. Uh, so anyway, I see you on Facebook all the time. We see you in person, of course, but on Facebook, I see you helping other companies, working with different businesses. If somebody is interested in learning about your company and you, where yeah. do they find you? Um, I have a landing page um, on uh, the interwebs, um, yep, yep. which is flourish hyphen or dash consulting.com. And so if people want any more information, they want to know about what I do, they can just fill out that online landing page form and it goes directly to to me. Um, and I'm happy to connect with them. That's the best way usually to get in touch with me. And I always meet with people personally um, if, after I have a phone call if it's something that they're deeper interested in. So usually I need the eyes of another human to, Absolutely. to, to be able to have a good uh, conversation about what they really are looking for. So Wonderful. Yeah. And it's great to see your business is flourishing, that you're thank doing you. well and thank you're you. staying it's, busy. Thank and, you. It is awesome. I'm so glad to be in this region. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, absolutely. It's been fun. All right. Bethany von Steinbergs, thank you for being here today. And you can find us, Whiteman Brock Real Estate Advisors, whitemanbrock.com, info at whitemanbrock.com. Have a great day.